The story of the Sikhs continues as we visit the community that Guru Nanak has now established at Kartarpur. It is the start of a period of institutional development that will last for almost two centuries. The grand task of giving shape to a new world religion has begun. This is co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong, welcoming you to join us as this fascinating journey continues. June 14, 1539, is a warm summer's day in the Punjab. A strange scene is unfolding on the banks of the river Ravi, which flows by the town of Kartarpur. Guru Nanak is surrounded by his family and his beloved Sikhs, but he's doing something most unusual even disconcerting. Surely unbefitting an elderly patriarch whose followers love and respect him like none other, Guru Nanak has risen from his seat, the Guru's seat, and to it he leads one of his humblest disciples, Pai Lerna, who looks perhaps embarrassed or nonplussed Guru Nanak, with a reassuring smile, gestures towards the Guru's seat and bids Lerna to sit. Lerna looks reluctant, but he is the most obedient of his master's followers and he gingerly lowers himself into the seat. To his astonishment, Guru Nanak reverently places an offering of five paise or pennies and a coconut before his disciple and prostrates himself before him. The assembly gasps. The Guru rises and turns to Pai Buddha, another of his beloved Sikhs, a solemn man who has been known as Buddha or the wise old man ever since he was a precocious lad. Pai Buddha, on the Guru's command, anoints Pai Lana's forehead with a tilak or saffron mark signifying royalty. The torch has been passed, visibly and dramatically. The humblest of Guru Nanak's disciples, Pai Lerna, is now his successor. He will be known as Guru Angad. It is a profound moment in the history of the Sikh faith. By clearly anointing Guru Angad as his successor, Guru Nanak has ensured that the new religion he has founded will live and flourish after him. Until that day, 
the Guru of the Six was a man. From that moment onwards, the Guruship is an institution. Guru Nanak had returned from his travels and settled in the town of Kartarpur almost two decades earlier. It was in Kartarpur that the institutions that were to cement his legacy and ensure its survival were truly established. Ask any young child what the basic principles of their faith are and they will unhesitatingly rattle off three pillars of the Sikh way of life, Nam Japna, or constant reflection upon the Almighty, Kirtkarni, or the practice of honest labor, and Vandachakna, the act of sharing the fruits of labor. The community of Guru Nanak's followers in Kartarpur diligently lived their lives according to these principles, inspired, of course, by their leader's example. Guru Nanak, during his years in Kartarpur, continued to compose hymns in the praise of the Almighty. The discourse on matters spiritual and social continued unabated as well. Constant reflection upon God was encouraged through the recitation of certain collections of hymns in the morning, evening, and night. This was the genesis of the nitname, the regimen of daily prayer that is an important part of the daily life of every practicing Sikh to this day. Hymns would also be sung in the morning and evening to the accompaniment of the rabab and the mridang, a two-sided drum. The singing of hymns continues to this day as well and is the primary form of worship in the Sikh faith. Guru Nanak by then had many followers, all of whom were delighted to lavish all kinds of offerings upon the Guru. He could have certainly lived a life of comfort and ease without having to raise a finger, like many self-styled religious leaders continue to do to this day. But Guru Nanak was far from being that kind of religious leader. He led by example. All the rich offerings were set aside for the community, and Guru Nanak toiled in the fields as a farmer. A spirit of generosity suffused the community, which was always welcoming and hospitable to all. The principle of Vandishakana, or sharing, was most visibly embodied in the community kitchen or langar, which was supported by the community and provided free food to one and all. Nanak's beloved companion, Mardana, was very old now and sensed that his end was near. 
He had a conversation with the guru about how his remains were to be disposed of after he passed. He had been born a Muslim, but he was now a Sikh. Guru Nanak told him that he had four choices according to the Hindu tradition. Brahmins were consigned to the water, Kshatriyas were burned, Vaishyas were thrown to the winds, and Shudras were buried. Mardana replied that the manner of disposal of one's remains was a matter of pride. Through his guru's teachings, he truly felt that his pride had been effaced, and he really didn't care what happened to him after his soul departed. Guru Nanak offered to build a tomb for his body, which would then become a place of pilgrimage and would ensure that Bhai Mardana's name would live forever. Much to the Guru's pleasure, Mardana declined. When he passed away, his body was set afloat in the Ravi to the chants of hymns. Mardana's son Shahzada was embraced by the Guru as his minstrel. The descendants of Bhai Mardana, who became known as the Rababis, would serve as highly respected minstrels at the most prominent places of Sikh worship for the next 400 years. As he progressed in years himself, Guru Nanak, of course, must have thought often about his burgeoning flock. In addition to the large community in Kartarpur, there were small groups of Sikhs all over the world now. Those who had been touched by his message during his wanderings, many in far-flung places. All of them would need guidance. The faith was new and the institutions that were forming needed to be strengthened and extended. Finding a worthy successor was critical. Guru Nanak was surrounded by many able, sincere, and dedicated followers. He also had two sons, of whom Sri Chand, the older, was meditative and introspective, it was customary for a son to succeed his father, and Sri Chand harbored expectations that he might be anointed as the next guru after Guru Nanak. The guru, however, had other ideas, and as much as he loved his sons, he was intent on finding a successor who was equal to the challenges that lay ahead. In the town of Khadur, not far from modern-day Amritsar, lived a man called Lerna. He was married to a woman named Kivi, and they had three children, a daughter named Amro, and two sons named Dasu and Datu. 
Most of the residents of Kadur were ardent worshippers of the Hindu goddess Durga, none more so than Lena. Every year, Lena would organize a pilgrimage and lead the residents of Kadur to Jwalamukhi, a volcano in the mountains where there was a famous temple dedicated to the fierce goddess that he worshipped. Lena would strap little tinkling bells to his wrists and ankles, and he would lead the devotees as they danced in unison before a statue of the goddess. Kadur was also home to a follower of Guru Nanak, a Sikh named Jodha. Jodha, as part of his daily regimen of prayer, would chant the Japji, a composition of Guru Nanak, that reflects on the nature of God and true worship. Lena was deeply affected by the composition and started to spend time with Jodha, eager to learn about his master, who he learned lived in Kartarpur. It is said that the goddess Durga appeared in Lena's dream one night, serving Guru Nanak, and he decided that it was time for him to seek the Guru out. On his next pilgrimage to Jwalamukhi, Lena convinced his band of pilgrims to break their journey at Kartarpur. After all, he said, we will only accrue greater benefit by spending some time with a man who is regarded as a seer and a sage. Lena was immediately drawn to Guru Nanak, and he listened rapt as the Guru spoke, each discourse affecting him profoundly, so much so that he threw away his dancing bells and decided that there was no reason for him to travel to Jwalamukhi anymore. His fellow pilgrims, angered by his change of heart, remonstrated with him, reminding him of his duty as their leader and chiding him for forsaking them in the middle of their journey. When Lena was unmoved, they berated him, warning that the goddess Durga would curse him and that he would lose his sons and all of his wealth. But Lena stayed unmoved. He had found his master. After a few days at Kartarpur, Lena made his way back to Kadur and excitedly told his wife Kivi about his new master. After a few days, he decided to return to Kartarpur. He ordered a fine set of new clothes and purchased a bag of salt for the langar, and dressed in his new finery, he returned to Kartarpur. When he arrived, he was told by Guru Nanak's wife, who was respectfully addressed as Mata or Mother Sulakni, that the Guru was away toiling in the fields. Lena offered the bag of salt to the Guru's wife and hastened to the fields where Guru Nanak was working. The Guru had collected three large bundles of grass for his cows and buffaloes. The bundles were heavy and muddy, and the Guru's followers seemed a bit reluctant to carry them. Guru Nanak then asked his sons, Sirichand and Lakhmidas, to carry them, who demurred as well, saying that they would find a laborer to do the task. By Lerna, unhesitatingly picked up the bundles and balanced them on his head, unmindful of the mud dripping on his fine new clothes. Mata Sulakhani chided the Guru for letting their guest carry the grass, pointing out that the Guru had many followers 
who could have been tasked with the service. The Guru replied that God had put the bundles of grass on the head of the man capable of carrying them. When Mata Sulakhani lamented that Lena's fine clothes had been soiled by the mud, the Guru replied that what she saw on Lena's clothes was not mud, but saffron, which always marks the elect. This act of devotion was not Lena's last by any means. Unbeknownst to all, Guru Nanak had started to systematically test his followers and his sons. One winter's night, during heavy rainfall, a part of the wall of the Guru's house collapsed. The commotion woke up the household, and both of his sons hurried to see what was happening. Several of the Guru's most devout Sikhs had also gathered, many sleepily rubbing their eyes, shivering under the coarse shawls that they had tossed around their shoulders to ward off the rain and the cold. This is a catastrophe, the Guru declared, and the little assembly nodded in assent. The Guru leveled his gaze upon them and said, I would like it to be fixed right away. There was much hemming and hawing and shuffling of the feet. Some wondered privately if the Guru was going senile. Finally, his sons mustered the courage to speak. It is midnight, O father, and it is bitterly cold. Please go back to bed. In the morning, we will summon masons and laborers to take care of this. The Guru merely looked at the group and said, What need of masons and laborers when I have all of you? You shall perform this work. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief when Lena stepped up, inwardly smirking at his foolishness. After all, what was the need to repair the wall right at that time? Lena got to work under the watchful eye of his master, and the rest of the six, including Sirichan and Lakhmidas, hastened to their warm beds. Lena diligently rebuilt a large section of the wall and found the Guru looking over his shoulder as he worked. It is crooked, O Lena, said the Guru. Without a moment's hesitation, Lena tore down the wall and started again. This time the Guru let him build it and examined it critically when it was done. You chose the wrong spot, O Lena. You're going to have to move the foundation of the wall a bit. Uncomplaining, Lena threw down the wall again and started to build it for the third time. It was dawn by then and the six began to wake up. Some gathered around Guru Nanak's house watching Lena work. Finally, when the wall was completed, the Guru once again expressed dissatisfaction and commanded Lena to tear it down yet again. Some of the six began to titter. The Guru's sons mocked Lena calling him a fool to obey such unreasonable orders, Lena went back to his work quite unperturbed.
three years passed in this manner. Guru Nanak grew increasingly fond of Lena and spent a lot of time instructing him. The Guru's sons had grown jealous of Lena's deepening relationship with their father and began to openly express their dislike for him. The Guru, sensing the depth of the animosity, decided to send Lena away to Kadur. Of course his disciple left with no hesitation and started to live a disciplined life of prayer and meditation in his hometown, garnering great respect from the locals. He was distraught at being separated from his master, but he never expressed any dissatisfaction. He was certain in his heart that Guru Nanak must have had his reasons for sending him away. Finally, the Guru visited him in Kadur and declared, My dear Lena, you have shown devotion like none other, and I cannot endure your suffering any longer. Between you and me, there is no difference now. None of my six has such faith and confidence in me, and there is none that I love more than you. You, Lena, have become a part of my body, no different from a limb, which is Ang in Punjabi. You will forever be known as Angad, and you shall henceforth dwell in Kartarpur. The writing on the wall was clear. Mata Sulakhani could see that Angad had become the Guru's favorite. The Guru often addressed him as his son, praising his obedience. The Guru's wife would admonish her sons, advising them to be more obedient, fearful for their future. Finally came the fateful day when the Guru assembled everyone on the banks of the Ravi and formally anointed Angad as his successor. sons were displeased at being superseded. They felt that they had been cheated out of their inheritance. After all, it was their father who had built everything around them. Guru Nanak calmly declared that Angad had proven himself to be the most capable to succeed him. The faith needed a leader who, rather than lording it over his followers, had the humility and forbearance to serve them, for the path ahead was a difficult one and demanded self-sacrifice. Ever practical, recognizing the ugly mood in Kartarpur, Guru Nanak commanded Guru Angad to return to Kadur, who of course obeyed without question, even though every fiber of his being craved the company of his master till his very last breath. Satta 
and Balwand were renowned Sikh minstrels whose composition about the succession of Guru Angad has been preserved and is in fact part of the Sikh scripture, which we will talk about in a subsequent episode. Satanam Sri Vaheguru Ji Ram Kali Ki Var Rai Balwande Tatha Satadume Aki Ek Oankar Sadgur Parasade Nau Karta Kadur Kare Kyun Bol Hovay Jokhi Vidae De Guna Sate Pahen Parahavhe Parangate Daan Upadi Vidae Nanak Raj Chalaya Sach Kota Satani Neev Dae Lhane Tarion Shato Sere Kar Sifti Amrit Upi Vidae मत गुर आत्म देव दी खड़गे जोरे पराकोय जी दै गुर चेले रहरास की नानक सलामत थीव दै सहट का दितोस जीव दै लहने दी फेराईया नानका दोही खटिया जोते उहा जुगते साये सह काया फेरे पलटिया चु लैसो शातो निरंजनी माल ताखतो बैठा गुर हटिया करहेज गुर लंगर चले गुर सबदे हर तोट इना आवी खटिया खर्चे देते खसमदी आप खहदी खैर इदबटिया होवे सिफते खसमदी नूर अरसहो कुरसहो चटिया तोद डिठे सचे पाद साह मालो जन्म जन्म दी कटिया साचो जे गुरे फुर्माया क्यों एदू बोलहो हटिया पुत्री काओल ना पालेओ कर पीरहो कान मुरटिया दिल खोटै आकी फिरने बन पहार ओचाएं ने शटियै जिन आखी सोई करे जिन कीती तना थटियै कौन हारे किन ओवटियै Ill equipped am I to judge the words and acts of the mighty one for virtues are his siblings dear salvation there is other none on a bed of mighty hardened rock a fortress did the guru build on Lena's head a canopy, his heart brimming with godly praise, wielding the mighty sword of truth the master did his servant raise. Behold, behold this wondrous sight, it never has been seen before. The servant sits upon the throne, the master kneels upon the floor, and even as the master lived, the mark of kings the servant wore. Thus Nanak did to all proclaim, To Lena he would pass the flame, Two bodies, yes, they seem to be, Their light and mean, it is the same. Under the royal canopy, Resplendent on the Guru's throne, He does as his master commands, The burden now is his alone. The doors are flung open and wide, the treasury of the Guru's word. With all he shares this precious wealth, this rich and never-ending hoard. The praises of the Lord are sung in the glow of heavenly light divine. Mere glimpse of you, my glorious king, effaces every sin of mine. The Guru did give this true command, why shall we then hesitate? His sons rebel and turn their backs, unworthy and ingrate. The ones with evil in their hearts, their backs are bent, burden of sin. The one who was obedient 
to the throne he has exalted been. Who could have said this? Who could have guessed? Who will lose and who will win? A new era was beginning, and it was time for the old one to end. Guru Nanak had lived a most extraordinary life. The precocious and insightful child, who had launched a rebellion against the brutal justice of inequality and repression at the tender age of nine, had never quite stopped. His entire life had been spent fighting injustice, superstition, and ritualism. His ideas were preserved for posterity as the hymns he had uttered during his lifetime had been diligently documented. The propagation, implementation, and survival of his ideas had been secured by the creation of many institutions. The Langar, which was an embodiment of his commitment to equality and social justice, the Gurdwara or Taramsal, which created a hub for every community of Sikhs to congregate, reflect upon the divine, and serve. A model community at Kartarpur, where everyone lived a life of honest labor and service. The practice of Gurmat Sangeet, the congregational singing of hymns, which became the primary form of worship for all Sikhs and most significantly, the naming of a worthy successor and the creation of the institution of the Guruship. His legacy was profound and his revolutionary ideas had far-reaching consequences. While they would be developed further by his successors, it is no exaggeration to say that Guru Nanak forged the character of the Sikhs through his life and his teachings. Every important idea in Sikhism can be traced back to Guru Nanak. It was apparent that Guru Nanak's end was approaching. Droves of men and women, Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims, flocked to Kartarpur to bid him farewell. Guru Angad stood before Guru Nanak, his hands folded in supplication, and Guru Nanak gave him permission to speak. My Guru, he beseeched, please attach to your mantle once again those who have withdrawn from you. He was referring to those Sikhs who had rebelled against Guru Nanak because of the succession, or those whose faith had been tested and found wanting. 
Guru Nanak smiled kindly and said, For your sake, Guru Angad, they are all forgiven. Nanak then took a seat beneath a withered acacia tree, which to the assembly's surprise burst forth in full bloom. Mata Sulakhani and several of the Sikhs began to weep. Guru Nanak consoled them, and after uttering a hymn, a composition known as the Bara Ma, or the Twelve Months, that uses the metaphor for the changing seasons to express the spiritual yearnings of the soul, started to reflect deeply. He handed a compilation of his hymns to Guru Angad and went into a deep meditative trance. A fierce argument broke out between the Hindu and Muslim followers of Guru Nanak, who loved him. They respected him and they wanted to honor his remains in the manner of their respective faiths after his soul had departed. The Muslims wanted to bury him, while the Hindus insisted that he must be cremated. The Guru addressed them calmly. Let the Hindus place flowers on my right and let the Muslims on my left. They whose flowers are found fresh in the morning may choose the manner in which my body shall be disposed. The Guru then commanded the assemblage to chant the Suhila, one of his compositions that uses the metaphor of a wedding for a mortal's passing. Guru Nanak was leaving the world a happy man. The mission that had been entrusted to him had been accomplished. In a spectacularly successful manner, the chant of the Sohila was not an act of mourning. The Guru was commanding his Sikhs to rejoice. To this day, the Sohila is recited at every Sikh funeral service. सोहेला राग गौड़ी दीप की महला पहला एक ओंकार सदगुरु प्रसाद जय कहर कीर्त आखिया करते का होए विचारो तित कहर गावहो सोहेला सिवरे हो सृजनहारो तुम गावहो मेरे निरपहो का सोहेला हौ वारी जत सोहेला सदा सुख होए रहाओ नित नित जियड़े समालियन देखेगा देवनहार तेरे दान कीमत ना पवे तिस दाते कमन समार संबते साहा लिखिया मिल कर पावहो तेल देहो सज्जन असी सड़ियां जो होवे साहिब से मेल कहरे कहरे हो पाहोचा सदरे नित पवन सदन हारा सिमरिया नानक से देह आवन in the sacred house of God, where always are his praises sung, sing ye the song of sweet repose, his name forever on thy tongue. Sing the song of my fearless Lord, my life to whom I cede, and dwell forever in endless joy from sorrow thus be freed. He watches over all that live, fulfilling every need, Fathomless thy bounty, and fathomless thy creed. My wedding day is written, anoint me then with oil. Pour upon me blessings as I shed my mortal coil. These tidings take to every home, and every one invite. Forget ye not the caller, Nanak, the day is drawing nigh. Finally, 
The coda to the Japji of Guru Nanak was chanted, and the Guru drew a sheet over himself. When the sheet was removed the next morning, there was nothing beneath it. The flowers of the Hindus and the flowers of the Muslims, all of them were in glorious bloom. Guru Nanak's followers decided to honor him with memorials. The Sikhs built a shrine in his honor and the Muslims built a tomb. Both were swept away by the waters of the Ravi. The Story of the Sikhs is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultarsman, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the Sikhs in Delhi in 1984. The Story of the Sikhs is produced by Almast Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode also features a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Sunta Singh. The late Sant Jarnel Singh Bindran Valle's voice is heard reciting selections from the Sikh scripture. This episode features a recording in Raga Shri by Indian classical guitar maestro Ritom Sarkar. The Story of the Sikhs is sponsored by the Chardli Kala Foundation, a nonprofit that helps young Sikhs in the diaspora understand the values of their faith. Serial entrepreneur Dr. Ratinder Paul Singh Ahuja and the Sawney Family Foundation. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are two things you can do to help us reach more listeners. Please subscribe to the podcast and be sure to write a short review. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. In the next episode, we will learn how Guru Angad continued his beloved master's mission and his choice to succeed him as the next guru of the Sikhs. Thank you for joining us.